So how's your 2018 been going so far? Mine was clicking along pretty good until I read that uh, once again this year I didn't meet, make it into the top 100 evangelical influential leaders in America. Again. Ah, uh, however, I only care what Jesus thinks of me, so as long as he trusts me, I'm okay with that. But I'll tell you what, there was a, a statistic that did come out this, this week that really did trouble me, and um, it has to do with the level of trust that people are uh, placing on their pastor. This year, we have fallen to number seven in profession of trust behind nurses, military officers, grade school teachers, medical doctors, pharmacists, and police officers. And by the way, this, st this stat has to do with how Christians view the world. That Christians in America trust nurses, military officers, grade school teachers, medical doctors, pharmacists, and police officers more than they trust their pastor. I don't know what to make of that, to be honest. There's a lot of directions that kind of boggling my mind. Uh, not that those aren't good professions and good people, and, and what I can say for sure is if you're a nurse, you have a tremendous platform to bring the gospel, that's for sure. Or a doctor, or a police officer, or grade school teacher. But it, it, it also, I think, tells us that within the Christian community, there is a greater concern about physical health and physical security than there is about spiritual health. It also might mean there's a lot of untrustworthy pastors out there, and that's very, very disturbing. So having said that, we're, uh, we're going to look into some other things that are shaking around the world, but let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pause uh, this morning in the context of the world that we are presently in that is quite disturbing it's so many fronts and we simply ask that you would help us to remember that it's in you we trust and I pray oh God that above all your children those in your family would have implicit trust in the Word of God. I pray, O oh God, that we might not be those who pick and choose and prefer to deflect the things you are saying to us, but that we might be very diligent in these days that we live in. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Would you agree with me that it seems like everything around us is shaking or being shaken or will be shaken? I'm not sure if you're a current events junkie like I am, but I try to keep up with what's going on. And uh, there's just a lot of disturbance everywhere in the world. There's fires in California and then mudslides and floods. You've got a Category 1 hurricane in, in New England in the winter. I mean, who's ever heard of such things? You've got hurricanes down in the south and flooding and you've got terrorists and genocide. You've got Hollywood and entertainment and politics being shaken up. 
Everywhere we turn around, radical terrorists, the world is being shaken. And the question that as we observe all these things is to ask, is there an overarching message to all this mess that's going on around us? And maybe we would go so far as to ask the question, is, is God trying to tell us something? Is, is he trying to get through? Is God sending a message to our world right now? I would submit to you that he is, and I'm going to show you why I believe that. I also believe that there's a tremendous and cataclysmic and massive shakedown coming. But the good news is there is a refuge, an unshakable place for those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a new kind of community an unshakable community. Would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 with me? As we now zero in on the finale, pretty much the the final statements of the preacher of Hebrews, trying to get a, a sense of this urgent conclusion that he is making to his long sermon to his church. Chapter 13 is a, is a number of miscellaneous sort of summary points, but there is this final urgent warning that we're looking at today. In fact, as I was sharing with our prayer group before the service this morning, I was mentioning to them that, that if I were to entitle Hebrews, and it wouldn't be the name Hebrews, I would call it warning Because I really think the theme from the beginning right through to here is the warning to God's people. Hang in. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't let go. And now we come to this, again, this this warning, uh, urgency of do not turn away from the truth. So, um, I think you'll agree with me that one of the themes, or the theme that runs under this idea of warning, is this recurring, uh, urgent statement that the preacher makes, that he borrows from the psalmist, and it is this, today, if you hear the word of God, do not... Harden your hearts. Repeated throughout this. Today, there's an, there's an urgency. This moment, as you hear the word of God, whatever you do, do not harden your hearts. So with that as a, as a quick introduction, would you look with me at Hebrews chapter 12? I want to start reading at verse 18. And I don't know the, the seriousness of this text and its... The the graphic illustrations, the emotion with which it grabs us, I'm not sure that sitting down while we read it really cuts it. And so if you can, would you grab your Bibles or your electronic device and stand up with me as we read this text. Hebrews 12 verse 18. 
You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the judge, the God of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of God to us this morning. Would you please be seated? Our Father and our God, today, may we not harden our hearts. I pray, O oh God, that we might not ignore the urgency of your warning to us. I pray, O oh God, that we might not be flippant about these things, not take seriously what you are saying. I pray, O oh God, if there are are people among us today who are just goofing off with you, fooling around and not taking their hearts seriously. I pray, oh God, for those who might be with us who are cold, cold, cold-hearted to the things of God. That today, they might not miss the grace of God. In this holy moment, as we sang together, recognizing that we are in a holy place because the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of Almighty God, the consuming fire of God is among us. May our hearts be scorched by the heat of your presence, O oh God, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Today, if you hear his voice, I beg you, do not harden your heart. 
When God speaks to you, to me, if we ignore his voice or disobey his voice, our heart hardens a little. In fact, every time we hear the voice of God and we ignore it or disobey it, our heart hardens a little bit. Last week, we were told by the Lord to get rid of, toss away, throw away everything that hinders our race. Everything, the sin. We're to focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're to endure hardship as discipline of the Lord. If we walk away from those truths, ignoring them, disregarding them or disobeying them, our heart becomes a little harder and our hearing becomes harder. How you hear the voice of God determines whether you will be shaken or unshakable. God's voice comes first as grace and then as judgment, if ignored. I want to expand the section that we're going to look at today to take us back a few verses, pick up the context of this grand finale section, and ask the question, will it be grace or will it be judgment? There are only two alternatives in life. There is a statement that sort of is required to, to lead off this section so we understand the argumentation of the preacher. What's his point? I mean, we know his big point. His big point is that his people have been putting their faith at risk because of their sin and because of their fear. Those two things. And quite honestly, time doesn't change these things. Our congregation and the advancement of the gospel and what God wants to do among us in your life and collectively are put at risk by our sin and by our fear. Now, sin we get, we understand, it's, a, it's a disobeying God. But regularly we excuse our fear. Fear is not something to be excused either. It fits into this whole reality here that we're going to look at this morning. Because this section has lots of questions we need to answer. You can't just jump in and start talking about a a mountain with fire and darkness and gloom and storm and a consuming fire God and a preaching from Mount Zion and a better word and all that and not ask a lot of questions. What in the world is he talking about? There's, there's some important, really critical stuff for us here. And regularly, we don't, uh, we excuse ourselves from the idea that we are we're okay with God and our fears are okay and God's okay with our fears. He's not okay with our fears, particularly those fears that prevent us from being all in with Christ. And that's what was happening here. If we get all in, we're going to lose friends. It's sounding tough in Rome and it's probably going to get painful. It might cost us economically as we lose this job or lose that job. Maybe we can't 
get a grant from the government. I don't know. Maybe, maybe things are going to get tough if we get serious with the Lord. And we get afraid. And so as he closes down this sermon, he states this in verse 15 that really arrested my attention this week. See to it that none of you misses the grace of God. Now, God doesn't waste words. So he wouldn't write this to us, he wouldn't have this written to us if it weren't possible for any of us to miss the grace of God. This is an urgent, urgent message to us. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And it seems to me that this urgent statement is directly connected to verse 25 because it's the same wording. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. I think there's a direct connection, a direct correlation between what it means to miss the grace of God and refusing the word of God in your life. Perhaps we've never thought of it this way, but this morning is a tremendous grace of God. That you are here in this place. That God enabled you to get up today and come to this gathering where we would sing together and pray together and have the Word of God opened to us and have God speak to us Freely, without fear, or it should be. What, a, what an incredible grace of God. He has given you an opportunity to come and hear from his heart to your heart. And the preacher here is saying, it's unthinkable that because of your sin and your fears, you would risk the grace of God to you. Let's understand, grace is a gift. We can say it another way. It's the undeserved gift of God to us. We did not deserve to be here this morning. We did not deserve to get up this morning. We did not deserve the freedom that we have this morning. We did not deserve to come and gather together this morning. We did not deserve to have this building to gather in and, and learn the Word of God. All of it is a tremendous gift of God today. That's why at the very end he says, How, what should we be? We should be thankful and worshiping God. But some of us, are risking this grace by the way we're living. And so he invites us to consider our shared religious history by taking us to some characters like Esau and Abel and Mount Sinai. And he invites us to to gaze and stare at historic biblical truth 
that we might be careful with how we live in these two threats against the grace of God in our lives, sin and fear. And he asks us to carefully audit our own lives to see that we are not missing the grace of God. Because there are evidences of that in your life, such as bitterness and trouble and the defiling of people. And then he gets very specific about a man named Esau, Abraham's grandson. He talks about the fact that if this grandson who's so close to the fire, I mean the great patriarch Abraham's grandson, how easily in a couple of generations it can all be thrown away if we're not vigilant. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Abraham's grandson is godless. Who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. And afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Or as the New American Standard puts it, he could find no place of repentance. This is a scary moment in redemptive history. I'm not going to bother to get into the whole story because quite honestly, all you really need to know is listed right here. Esau could bring about no change of mind. When God was offering the grace of himself to Esau, he chose to ignore it for a bowl of soup. And, and it's no accident that the emphasis is put here by the preacher for a single meal. How cheaply we will sell God for a single bowl of soup. Esau missed the grace of God. And afterward, when he thought, big deal, I can turn the spiritual tap on and off anytime I want. I'm going to enjoy my bowl of soup. I'm going to ignore God. I'm going to disregard God. And when I get old and decrepit like my grandfather, Abraham, and when my time is just about up, I'll choose myself to turn back the tap, turn the tap back on of spiritual sensitivity. And to his horror, and to ours, we find out that it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We're not in charge of our own repentance. We're not in charge of our own relationship with God. When he decided he wanted to change his mind, he couldn't find the place of repentance. 
He couldn't find the grace moment again because it had gone from him. There is a time where God speaks graciously because we don't deserve even a moment of his time. There is a time, like right now, like this morning, like right now in the pew where you are when God is speaking to you, there is this moment. This is the only moment that you have guaranteed to you. This is the moment of grace. God is speaking to you right now, today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not ignore like Esau did. And why couldn't Esau manufacture this place of repentance? First of all, because repentance is from the grace of God. Salvation, our relationship with God, is a gift of God. Not a decision of man or women. We can't manufacture our salvation. We can't manufacture a broken and contrite heart. The guy was crying and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, please, I want. But here's the key. If you look at the text, it says he wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the blesser. The biggest problem with our world, the problem with us, the problem with some of you sitting here this morning, the reason that you are ignoring God and risking the hardening of your hearts is because you are mastered by the gifts of God and you don't pay any attention to the grace of God through his word. Esau loved the gifts of God, the bowl of soup, but he had zero regard for the grace of God who gave him the gift of God. Like many of you, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I'm the only one willing to admit it. It was the sexual revolution. I grew up in the, at the very beginning, the start of casting off all restraint. The idea was, we know better than God about sex. And we know that we can play around with the gifts of God and ignore the grace of God and the word of God, and we'll be fine because we are so smart and so good, we will be able to manage the gifts of God without the grace of God in a healthy way. That's what everybody thought. We don't need all God's rules. God doesn't always talking about, about sex. We know more than he knows. And we are all now living with the fruit of that. See, everybody told all of the high-up guys in the entertainment world that sex was free and flowing and you could do anything you want. And suddenly, there's a whole generation of women who are saying, wait a second. These godless men don't know how to handle the gifts of God in a healthy way. Esau, sexually immoral, not whole generation, godless, selling God for a one-night stand in a bed with somebody you don't even like. 
and one day you wake up and you think you can just self-generate repentance because life sucks so badly for Esau and he couldn't because the time of the grace of God had gone they also learned as he invites them to do a drive by Mount Sinai he grabs the group in his church and he says let's go and look at Mount Sinai right verse 18 to 21 come on gather around the mount I've got to show you something I want to show you that your forefathers and foremothers begged verse 19 begged that no further word be spoken to them who are they begging they're begging God to shut up literally we live in a world that's begging God to shut up it's telling the church go away shut up say no more why Verse 20, because they could not bear what was commanded. We don't like what God is saying. What was God saying? That even if an animal touches the mountain, he must be stoned. That's too costly. Now, now look at Let's understand the, this whole Mount Sinai picture, this whole gig here. They come by and they look at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was, where the, was the place where God laid down the law. Sinful man scattered before him, messing up year upon year, epic upon epic, generation after generation with their sin, ruining people's lives. God lays down the law and has them gather at the foot of Mount Sinai and says, don't even think about touching the mountain. Why? Because the holiness of God had now made his presence on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he gave the Ten Commandments and gave the law and how to treat one another and basically stated to sinful people, your sinfulness makes it impossible for you to approach me. So much so that even if one of your animals, you allow one of your animals to touch my holiness, that animal must die. And they said, shut up, God. We will do what we want. Your command's too hard for us. And the preacher says to them, there is a greater thing to fear than persecution and costliness and hardship commitment and that is the judgment of God there are two mountains and two messages here they illustrate the nature of God Mount Sinai shows us how far short of God's glory we fall we are shaken and therefore God is unapproachable 
Exodus 19, Exodus chapter 20, you can read all about this. We can't take the time to dig into our history, but suffice it to say that in chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 20, we get the picture of what's going on at Mount Sinai. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Those who refuse to bear the word of God continue to live estranged lives from the grace of God because they are allowing the gifts of God to master them. And Mount Sinai is a picture of the sorry state of our love affair with our sin and a holy God. And no matter what we try to do, our works, our good works, are not going to allow us to touch Mount Sinai. Esau can cry all he likes, but he will not get the blessing without the blesser. And so they, they were stranded at Mount Sinai telling God to stop talking They can't bear his word any longer. This mountain trumpets out God's displeasure with the mess that we're in over sin so that its phony promises finally are exposed for what they are. That's why this mountain is fire and darkness and burning and gloom and storm and trumpet blast that's so loud and terrifying that even Moses was afraid. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of Almighty God. We, We don't sense enough, we don't pay attention enough to the visual here of of how God perceives our sinfulness. It doesn't trifle with it. It's not a, a, he doesn't pat us on the head and say, there, there, it's it's not a big deal. It's a huge, big deal to God. Because it ruins people's lives. The most tragic response that we can make when we come to a holy God and we come and sit before his word, the most tragic response is to beg him to stop speaking to us, is to beg him to say nothing more to us. Show me no more, God. I can't take it. And instead, we turn into our sin. Instead of seizing the grace time of God's voice, We hold our ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear what God is saying. And we bury our souls deeper into our sickness that makes us terminal. And we pretend that Mount Sinai is just a horrifying figment of our nightmarish imagination. It is not. If you will not embrace the grace of God, you will face the judgment of God. The blood of Abel is all that you'll have as it cries out. That's what this world, all this world has is the blood of Abel. What is the blood of Abel over against the blood of Christ? The blood of Abel cries out for revenge. Revenge, revenge, that's what our whole world is all about. What is this whole movement? What is this shakedown in entertainment and politics? The, 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 the men, what's this shakedown about? Revenge. 
And the preacher says, you've not come to that mountain. Don't camp there. He says to his people who are thinking about turning back or thinking about going back into their old ways, you don't want to go back there. Because there's a better word. There's a different blood. The blood of Christ, our mediator. It doesn't cry out for revenge. Christ's blood calls for forgiveness. Christ has died for us, our mediator, the one who lives forever, making intercession with, for us in the, in the face of the Father. You've come to Mount Zion. Look at what he says about Mount Zion. Mount Zion is a, is a celebrative place. It's a, it's a joyful place. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. The church of the firstborn in the place where you can count on justice because God is the judge. And the spirits of righteous men made perfect do a better covenant. Why would you go back? We gathered here this morning knowing that we've been liberated from that. Oh, listen, don't get me wrong. We all have to drive by Mount Sinai before we get to Mount Zion. We all have to go to the place where we notice that our sins are offensive to God. And we notice that if we don't change our ways, we will lapse into judgment for all of eternity. And so we turn to Christ, the mediator of a better covenant, who offers us forgiveness and places us in the kingdom uh, that we're placed in with celebration and joyful singing. He says, are you crazy how would you think about going back hold on hang in don't turn back you've been given this awesome grace of god see to it that you don't miss it because you don't want to hear what god has to say and you tell him to be quiet because his words are too hard for you. See to it, verse 25, that you do not refuse him who speaks. We have come to this joyful assembly. We face Mount Sinai, our sins that have alienated us from God, but now in Christ Jesus, we're invited to the mountain. Come to Zion. You're in. Welcome. You are there because of Christ's work. If you think, the preacher says, that you can go back and depend upon your own works, think again. Judge. You will either be judged by the law or by grace. You will be judged by your own works or by the works of Christ. You pick. For me, I'll take the works of Christ every time. Because when God looks at me, he sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. Well, that might have been enough, but as we wrap this up, He wants to make sure that in this grand finale, he takes one more stab at seriousness. If Mount Sinai wasn't enough, if Esau wasn't enough, 
we better understand that there's a final shakedown coming. A massive one. If you ignored Mount Sinai and you're bypassing Mount Zion and you're burying your soul in your sins, your eternal future will be fire and darkness and gloom and storm and the fear of Mount Sinai and judgment forever. And don't think you can turn the grace tap on anytime you want. I remember my best buddy growing up who said to me, because I ministered to him so many times, and he said to me, I want to live the way I want to live, and when I'm old, I'll embrace this thing you've got going on with Jesus. Well, I don't know what you consider old. I think I'm old. He's the same age as me. He hasn't embraced Jesus. Because you can't turn the tap on yourself. And so he says there's a shakedown coming. God rehearses in the past what he plans to do in the future. As he shook Mount Sinai, giving us the law. Exodus 19. The prophet Haggai in Haggai 2.6 says there's coming a day when he will shake heaven and earth. And the preacher picks up on this and says that hasn't happened yet, folks. That's not happened yet, folks. It's yet to come. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Beloved, today in your hearing, God the Father is warning you from heaven what I'm about to tell you and what I have been telling you all along. At that time, his voice shook the earth. At what time? The time of Mount Sinai, the giving of the law. But now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. You think the mudslides and the earthquakes and the hurricanes that are going on is all that's going to happen? No, that's birth pangs. That's what, that's what we've been experiencing from Romans chapter 8, the birth pangs of the fallenness of our earth and what's coming. And every woman in here who knows and has had a child knows that birth pangs increase in frequency as it gets closer to the time of birth. So you can expect more earthquakes and more hurricanes and more shakedowns than we have seen. And he says here, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. Listen, beloved, this shakedown that is coming will shake down everything that is created. And the only thing that will stand 
are those hearts that are firmly planted in the heart of Christ Jesus. All of creation is going to go away. That's why in Revelation chapter 21, it says, I will make a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and old earth will have passed away. And only what can't be shaken will last. His voice will shake what can be shaken. His voice will rescue what cannot be shaken. Therefore, we are to worship God, to thank Him, to thank Him. If you are in the unshakable kingdom this morning, then thank Him, praise Him for what He has done and what He's going to do for you, for His grace to you so you will not perish with the rest. And since our God is a consuming fire, we better build a fireproof life. And we better not miss the grace of God. And we better listen to the things of God. And today we better not harden our hearts against the things of God. As John Piper says, we better clothe ourselves in asbestos Jesus. Because folks, your stuff is toast. I hate to break this to you if you don't know this, but everything you're tinkering with, everything you've been investing in, everything you've been renovating, everything you've been working and giving your time to, and everything that's so important in this life that you're not focusing on Jesus, that you're not throwing aside all the things that are hindering you, that you're not getting rid of the sin, that you're not enduring hardship, all of the things that are distracting you and keeping you from Jesus and giving your life to him, they're all toast. They're all going away. All the things that we spend so much of our energy and effort advancing that is outside of the cause of Jesus Christ is toast. It just doesn't make sense to live life any other way than to thank Christ and to worship God and to never go back and to always go forward and to hang on no matter what to the one who's hanging on to you because he is no fool. To give away what he can't keep. To gain what he or she can't lose. So what's the takeaway? What you do with the voice of the Lord today has everything to do with the state of your heart tomorrow and the next day after that. And this universe is moving toward a final shakedown. And you will either be shaken away or unshakable. Now, which is it? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Beloved, where you sit this morning, you've either been goofing around, you're considering giving up, you're living a lie, or you don't know Jesus, or you're celebrating a heart that's in, on fire for the Lord. One of these are the case. So my question to you is this, there's only two alternatives. You're either shakable 
or you're unshakable today? Which is it? And it matters. Would you stand with me as we pray and remain standing as we celebrate together in song? Father, I pray. I pray from the bottom of my heart that this urgency that has come from you to us would be taken seriously in our lives. For the glory of God. Because you mean what you say. You always have. You're the same today, yesterday, and forever. And you always will mean what you say. And you mean it. That it's possible to miss the grace of God. But this moment is our moment of grace. We don't have to miss it. But we're only guaranteed this moment. When it goes away, there's no guarantee of another moment. So, O oh Lord, I pray that those who are unshakable will worship you and celebrate you with the thousands and thousands in the joyful assembly of the angels. And those who are shakable will be shaken today out of their complacency and lostness and come to faith in Christ once and for all. For Jesus' sake, amen. As we sing this final song today, I, I want to put this out to you today. Today, don't harden your heart. Don't put this off. Don't say, well, maybe I'll, I'll get around to this. It, this is your day. This is your moment. I'm going to be right down here in the front. If your life is presently shakable, then I urge you to invite the grace of God to be real in your life today. Make this a day of decision. Choose the unshakable kind of kingdom, Christ's kingdom, and meet me right down here, right here this morning. Oh, beloved, salvation has come to the house this morning. And God's work in our lives is real. And we're taking him seriously. And if you're where you are knowing full well that there are some hindrances that you are allowing to live in your life or some sin that you are living with. Focus on Jesus that is off focus or hindrance or hardships that are seeking to swamp you or issues of obedience that you are putting off today, oh today, don't harden your heart. God is at work in people's lives for these very things. Oh, Father, your grace is marvelous and free and is so amazing that it can redeem and rescue me. And so we thank you. I pray for these three women who have stepped forward this morning to boldly state, we will not allow our hearts to grow cold to this. But what God is saying to us, we are hearing. And we are trusting. And we will experience his victory through his power and strength. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.